I saw a website some time ago that asked a pretty insightful question, I thought, at least initially until I began to read all the way down through the page, but it asked, what do we know for sure about the location of God? It says, we know for sure that God was at the site of the birth of the universe. Our science tells us that some parts of the universe are older than others. And so, if we know this for sure, this one location of God, that God was where the birth of the universe was, we can send radio messages into space to this location. We can transmit your prayer to the only known location of God. For five dollars. Twenty-five dollars for a prepaid account of six prayers. $75 for a prepaid account for 20 prayers. Real website. I didn't just make this up. The whole deal, the credit card and everything. And you want to say, do we really need a radio transmitter and $75 to talk to God? No, there's no faster access to the Lord than through prayer. All you have to do is think and immediately high-speed access straight into the presence of the Lord. The thing we struggle with, I think, is that instant access often translates to us that it ought to be instant answers. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the download was as fast as the upload? if what we sent to the Lord came back just as fast. And when it's not, sometimes we get tempted to doubt whether prayer even works, where God even hears, or if we're not comfortable enough in taking our apostasy that far, we'll just give up on whatever the, the incident is, and we'll count it as a no, as our answer. There's pretty much three subjects you can teach on at any time, in any church, and guaranteed to make people feel guilty. That's giving, sharing your faith, and prayer. And I want you to know it's not my goal this morning to make you feel guilty. You need more guilt like you need a hole in the head. My purpose this morning is instead to share with you why, first of all, prayer is such a core value to our ministry. And secondly, why it ought to be an essential part of the life that you live, particularly as it gets difficult with God seemingly not answering your prayers. It's just my opinion, it's my experience, that prayer is the hardest of all the spiritual disciplines. I spoke with a brother between services who says, hey, it's not that hard for me. And uh, it's great, fantastic. So I gave him a few of my prayer requests. But for me, it is it's one of the hardest things. And I'm not talking about prayer at supper. I'm not talking about prayer at bedtime. I'm not talking about even prayer in small groups where you got the peer pressure to pray. I'm talking about you in your closet with God. You by yourself with the Lord. Sometimes it's hard to stay disciplined at that. Anybody who has seriously tried to pray 
realizes that very quickly we need some instruction on how to do this, because it's hard. Not only is it hard to pray, but it's hard to keep praying. And it's interesting, if you read through the Bible and you see how Jesus related to his disciples, very often throughout the pages of the Gospels, you'll find Jesus teaching on prayer to his disciples. And I don't know of any other place in all four Gospels that crystallizes better Jesus' teaching on prayer, both what to pray and what to do when it seems like God doesn't listen, than in Luke chapter 11. So turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 11. We always put the scripture verses on the screen, primarily for those folks who don't have Bibles or for the first time come without the Bible, but we never want it to become for you a substitute for the Bible. And so if you have a Bible, I encourage you to bring it and follow along in there as well. If you don't have a Bible and want one, we've got one in the lobby that you can have, uh, because having a copy of the scriptures for yourself is essential for you to grow, to know the Lord Jesus Christ better, and to know what it is that he wants you to do to live a life that honors him. If you think about it, in any relationship, communication is absolutely essential. Any relationship of significance, you've got to communicate. Um, And with our relationship with God, he communicates to us through the word. We communicate to him through prayer. And that's how our relationship works. He talks, we listen. We talk, he listens. And there is to be an expected response each time there is something said. He talks, and we're to respond in our lives. We talk, and we expect him to respond. And this is what Jesus teaches us in Luke 11. Let's start right in verse 1, the first 13 verses. I don't know of any other section of Scripture that so uh, crystallizes or synthesizes the excellent doctrine of prayer than these 13 verses. It came about that while he was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. You may remember last week when we talked about the issue of leadership, we said that modeling, uh, one of the greatest things a leader does, or the greatest way a leader leads, is by example. And here we have Jesus Christ praying His disciples see him praying, and then they come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray. It was modeled. It wasn't just taught. It was modeled. They see it, and they want to be like him. Lord, teach us to pray. John taught his disciples to pray. You teach us how to pray. And so notice what Jesus says to them, starting in verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, I don't know about you, but there are parts of that that seem all of a sudden to be missing. Uh, Many of you, I know, have grown up in church. Some of you have not. Maybe you're familiar with the song on the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven. You know, a nice big operatic song you hear. That leaves out some of these, this, this verse leaves out so many of other words. Why is that? Because what we're used to hearing is Matthew's version. This is Luke, we're used to hearing Matthew's version. And I think it's so fascinating to notice that there are differences between what's called the Lord's Prayer in both Matthew and Luke. 
And what does that teach us? Well, it probably teaches a bunch of things, but one of the implications is that the Holy Spirit did not see fit to record it word for word both times. What does that show us? That it is not essential that we repeat over and over the same words uh, as a church. Uh, you can think about certain traditions that will recite this Lord's Prayer or Our Father in, uh, in just rote repetitions. The more the, more the better. And uh, here we have the example in Scripture, Matthew and Luke compared. We don't have a liturgy here. We have an example of how to pray. And that it's recorded differently shows us that it is not intended to be rote reading, but it's intended to be an example. A topic, you might say. Topical prayer. Because you look at both places, it has the same topics, but it doesn't have the same words. Jesus wasn't saying, these are the words you say. He was saying, here's what to pray. Here is what you need to say regarding the themes. And he gives us some specific examples. And he basically tells us that you need to pray specifically. You don't just wander off and pray whatever's on your mind. That's good. But be more specific than that. And Jesus gives us some specific themes that he wants us to lift up in prayer. And uh, the first notice is that we are to pray to a person. Father. We're not praying to some God who's in the oldest part of the universe through radio $75 website. We're not praying to some impersonal deity that we don't know anything about and we hope he's a nice guy when we die. It's not impersonal. Jesus calls him Father and says we are to call him Father. Father is personal. You don't just say that to everybody. Father. That's a personal name that we're to call God. Where do we get off calling God Father? I mean, Jesus, Son of God, can call God Father. He's God. God the Son calls God the Father Father. That makes sense. But I'm not God. How do I call the Father Father? Because though I am not God like Jesus, I have been adopted. And any of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ have been adopted as sons. We're not sons. We're adopted as sons and daughters. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, just listen, it's not on the screen. He said, you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, which means Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So when you pray, realize you're praying to a person, not to some deity or metaphor, but to a person. Father, an intimate relationship. But intimacy doesn't do away with respect, as it, as it shouldn't with your own earthly father. There is an element of respect that's there, even though there's intimacy. And so Jesus says that we're also to pray with praise. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. What in the world does that mean? I saw a, a cartoon family circus that was helpful. He says, Our Father, who aren't in heaven, how old be thy name? <laughs> and kids are so insightful because they pick up on what we don't understand ourselves. Hallowed be thy name. Well, how old be thy name? That seems to make sense. Let's pray that. Hallowed. What does hallowed mean? Hallowed means that 
It means the same thing in the original language as it does in English. Unfortunately, we don't know what it means in either. Uh, hallowed means that you set something apart. Uh, you make it special. Particularly, this word hallowed means you set it apart as holy. It is holy. It is perfect. It is divine. And God, we're told that his name is to be set apart. And so this isn't so much of God, may your name be holy, but it's a recognition that you are. It is praising God. So you pray to him personally, Father, and you also uh, pray with praise. Not only that, Jesus says that we pray with purpose. Thy kingdom come. We are to be busy about the work of God's kingdom. And Jesus says that prayer is our chief work in it. We pray for that, that kingdom come. E.M. Bounds, he was a, uh, a chaplain during the Civil War, wrote this. He said, We're constantly on a stretch, if not a strain, to devise new methods, new plans, new organizations to advance the church and secure uh, the gospel. The church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men, men of prayer. The first part of this prayer focuses on the glory of the Lord. To person, Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. But then Jesus turns it now, three things about the Father. Now it talks about three things about us. The three things that we generally take to God first. And the first is very common prayer for provision. Give us each day our daily bread. Notice a couple things about this. First of all, it recognizes that we need God. That you can't do it by yourself. That the needs that you have are needs that you need to take to the Lord. And that they are daily needs implies daily prayer. And in fact, it's even repeated. Give us each day our daily bread. In another place, it's recorded, give us this day our daily bread. And if you're praying this day for daily bread, the implication is you pray that every day. That our prayer life with the Lord is to be a regular, constant, daily thing, not just something that we do once in a while. Life magazine reported that the number of Americans who say that they pray daily is 75%. Kind of want a definition of what prayer is there. But 75%, 95% say they've gotten some kind of an answer to prayer. And so prayer is something we do. Jesus says, let's let it be specific to a person with praise, with purpose, for provision. If you're like me, you struggle with busyness, and that tends to crowd out prayer. Real busy, too busy to pray. Those of us who are too busy to pray, you know what we could do? We could pay a lady in India $1.50, and she will pray for us. This is what she says she says, uh, life has become so frantic, people have, don't have time to do anything beyond work or family. That's why people have stopped praying, even though they feel a spiritual need to do so. If you don't have time, call me, and I'll take care of it. Isn't that great? Don't even have to pray, just pay a lady and she'll pray for you. We look at that and we think, well, that's crazy, you know? My prayer is my prayer, I pray. But how, how amazing it is, I mean, there are some people that that pay this lady to do this. This is not some obscure little note in the bottom of a newspaper. This really happens. 
D.L. Moody once said, if you've got so much business to attend to that you have no time to pray, depend upon it, you have more business on hand than God ever intended you should have. We pray for provision. Give us each day our daily bread. This is a daily prayer. We ask God to meet our needs. Not only do we pray for provision, but Jesus also tells us we need to pray for pardon. Pardon. And he says it this way, And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. I think I told you one time about a couple of churches that prayed the Lord's Prayer, and they decided, they were very small churches, they decided, well, why don't we kind of join forces, and our two churches together will be able to do a better job. Rather than two small, struggling individual churches, let's join hands and let's work together. They said, great, sounds great. Well, the problem was, one church, when it said the Lord's Prayer, it said, forgive us our debts. The other church said, forgive us our trespasses. And neither church was willing to give up the way they said it. And so they decided, now nah, we'll, just, we'll just do our own thing. And the local paper, in writing about this, said, well, one church returned to their debts, one church returned to their trespasses. <laughs> what a wonderful reflection to the community. And what's so funny about that, though, it's the very line of the prayer they were violating to forgive somebody else's mistakes. Nope, nope, you don't say it the right way, forget it. You go back to your trespasses and I'll go back to mine. I get asked this fairly often, in fact, just this week a lady emailed me and asked me this question. She said, if I've got to ask God for forgiveness... What happens if I die and I haven't asked for forgiveness for everything? Why does it say here, forgive us our sins? I mean, I thought Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, right? Why do I have to ask for forgiveness if he died on the cross for my sins? It's a great question. And the answer is simply this, that there are, you might say, two different levels of forgiveness. There's the forgiveness that determines heaven and hell, and there's the forgiveness that determines how you are in a relationship. Uh, the forgiveness between heaven and hell, obviously, is the one that she's concerned about. That's the forgiveness that happens in, in the life of anybody that realizes, look, I'm not perfect, but God's standard for heaven is perfection. So what do you do? Well, you realize the Lord Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he paid for all of my sins. And if I place my faith in him, my sins are forgiven. Fantastic. Once that is done, you can sin a trillion times and still go to heaven. So what's this business about? Well, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about the heaven and hell forgiveness. He's talking about a forgiveness that has to do with your daily fellowship with God. Not that it'll send you to hell, but that affects your relationship. For example, if, uh, if I have a falling out with one of you, um, let's say I offend my wife and I say something dumb. Of course, this is totally hypothetical. Okay, <laughs> Never happens. I say that because she's not here in this service. But let's say I say something dumb to her and it offends her and so there's something between us. Well, she's still my wife. That's never going to change. Okay? She's my wife, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. There's no way that's ever going to change no matter how, how many stupid things I say to my wife. She's still my wife. But there is something definitely amiss because I've said this. I have to go to her and confess and say, Kathy, I'm sorry for what I said. So that, that, so that our fellowship is restored. 
still my wife, but I tell you, there's a big difference between being husband and wife with a problem and being husband and wife with fellowship restored. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, look, you don't have to ask for forgiveness so that you won't go to hell. You ask for forgiveness so that your relationship with your heavenly Father is restored. And incidentally, since you've been forgiven by grace, then you need to forgive others as well. Forgive others who have sinned against you on the same basis. And finally, Jesus says that we need to pray for protection and lead us not into temptation. Pray for protection. Um, It's interesting, Jesus said the very same thing to the disciples when they were in the garden that night, the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus was to be arrested. He said, watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. What did they do? Did they watch and pray? No. They fell asleep. And every single one of them fell away. Every single one of them abandoned him because they didn't do what he said. Didn't watch and pray. Prayer is one of your most powerful weapons against temptation. Not saying you're not going to get tempted, but prayer, if you ask the Lord, look, protect me. Do not lead me into a situation that's going to tempt me. You pray for protection. Paul wrote and he said that the, uh, the battle that we have is not against flesh and blood. It is against the devil. And on those terms, you've got to have spiritual weapons. And our spiritual weapon for protection from the evil one is prayer. Now, so that Jesus says here, that's what I want you to pray. To a person with praise, with purpose, for provision, for pardon, for protection. Those are the things you need to pray. General themes, that's what you include in your prayers. Our problem isn't so much those things as it is what do you do when you've prayed those things and God doesn't seem to hear you. Then what do you do? Jesus anticipates this and he tells them a story. In verse 5, he said to them, Suppose one of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he shall answer and say, Do not bother me. The door's already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. This guy's his friend. Doesn't want to give him anything. Comes to him in the middle of the night. Now let's suppose I were to come to your house in the middle of the night. Okay? Knock on the door. Uh, Can you give me some sugar? You know how weird that would seem? You wouldn't come to church here anymore if I did that. That guy is weird. Just go to Kroger, Wayne, and get some sugar, okay? If it's that big a deal. Or better yet, wait till the morning and come back. I don't know how many times I have people call me at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. Hey, what you doing? I'm sleeping. It's amazing how we respond to people that, that act that way. And this guy is the same way. His friend comes to him in the middle of the night and says, Hey, you got any bread? I got this guy who came and visited and I don't have anything to feed him. Which was the custom. You give a meal to a guest. And the guy said, man, go away. He doesn't notice, notice, he doesn't even get out of bed to answer him. It says, and from inside he shall, he doesn't even open the door. From inside he shall say, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up. He didn't even get up. He's still laying there. This hollers, hey, go away. (laughs) Won't even get up. And what's interesting about the way that this was set up in the first century, you never spent your time in the house. We always spend our time in the house and never go outside. 
They had never spent their time in the house. They were always outside. Agricultural society, you spent all your time outside. All you did inside was cook and sleep. And here they are sleeping. And usually it was like a big one-room house, and you all slept on the same mat. And so, I mean, any parent knows, and he mentions he's got kids. Any parent knows. You finally get the kids to sleep. How are you going to feel when somebody comes ringing the doorbell and rapping on the, on the window? Give me some bread. You want to keep him quiet. And so notice what Jesus says in verse 8. Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. See, he's totally selfish motivated. Selfish initially, ag go away. Selfish when he finally gives in, so that he'll go away. It's selfish. And Jesus says, this is the way this guy is going to respond. In other words, the guy would not go away. He kept knocking. He kept knocking. He keeps asking. And, and I can just picture this guy running around the house. You know, the door doesn't work, so he goes to the window and kind of peeks in the window. Then he goes around and he looks in the keyhole. He says, hey, give me some bread. He keeps bothering this guy for bread. And he may have even run around and said, bread, bread, bread. I really need some bread. Get out of bed, you sleepyhead. Bread, bread, bread. This guy finally says, okay, I'll give you some bread. Just go away. And Jesus makes the point. It's not because he cares anything about this guy. It's because this guy is so persistent. In fact, you may have a marginal reading that says he's shameless. He is shameless in asking. And now Jesus takes this and applies it to us in verse 9. He says, And I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and, the, and it shall be opened to you. And again, if you, you may have a marginal reading that, that's accurate. It says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, which is actually a better translation. Jesus is saying, look, I told you the story about a guy who was persistent. Now I'm telling you, when you come to your Heavenly Father and pray, you be persistent. You keep asking, you keep knocking, you keep seeking. And He is not a God that's going to ignore you. In other words, Jesus is saying to us that we need to pray persistently, or you might even say shamelessly, in spite of delay or of God's apparent apathy. You know, I think a lot of times the problems that we struggle with in life come from a wrong understanding of God. We don't understand Him, and so when He acts a certain way, we think, ah, you know, what's wrong with Him? When really, what's wrong with our understanding of Him? God is a person. Remember, we pray to the Father. He is a person. He has a will, and that will ha has different levels. Just like us, we have different levels of will. For example, today, in about 50 minutes, I plan to eat. That is my will. I yearn for this. No joke. I usually don't have breakfast Sunday morning, and uh, just because of time. And Sunday lunch, I want to eat. That is my will. But you know what? It's also my will to stay faithful to my wife for my entire life. Now, if I don't get my lunch, I may be a little grumpy, but I'll have supper. But if I'm not faithful with, to my wife, now we're talking about something totally different. See, both are my will. But if one doesn't happen, eh, not a big deal. If the other doesn't happen, it's a big deal. God's the same way. He has different levels of His will. For example, the top tier of His will is that He be glorified. It's even reflected here in the prayer. Father, hallowed be Thy name. That's the first thing. 
God be glorified. Then after that, God desires that people come to know Jesus Christ. After that, you've got a few more various and sundry things, one of which is He desires us to enjoy His blessings. The trouble that we go through when we don't understand the Lord in this tiered will business is we'll flip that and we'll think that one of the biggest priorities on God's list is for us to enjoy His blessings and not for Him to get glory. And we'll switch it. And when He doesn't act like that and we ask for this and He gives us this, we think there's something wrong with God. And so Jesus gives an explanation here. In verse 10, he says, look, don't give up. He says, for everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. He says, even if God doesn't answer initially, don't quit asking. Because to the one who asks, they will receive. And he gives this point three times. Jesus says you are to pray persistently. God is able to answer. And if he has promised to answer, then he will. And he gives... An illustration now, because he begins to read their mind, and he begins to read our mind. He knows exactly what we're thinking, too. In verse 11 and 12, he says, Now, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? See, Jesus is wise here. He begins to look into our minds at, at, at our objections. Because what are we thinking when we ask God and we know that something is His will? I mean, it's clearly there in the Scripture. We pray, Lord, I know this is Your will. I've been praying this for such and such a time and You've not answered. What are we tempted to think about God when He doesn't answer? That's why He gives us these illustrations of a friend who really doesn't care anything about anything but getting sleep. And of a father, you know, the unnatural father who would give scorpions and snakes instead of eggs and fish. We're tempted to view God like that. When we ask for an egg, we think he's given us a scorpion. This is what Jesus is saying. And so his point is, look, even if God were that bad, it still pays to be persistent. Even if God were like that friend that didn't really care anything about you, it still pays to be persistent because persistence pays off in prayer. But his point is, God's not like that. He's giving an extreme to say, look, even if he were that bad, he would still answer prayer. But he's not bad. He is this good. Which is his point in verse 13. He says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Matthew says in the same thing, uh, shall he give good things to those who ask him? You see, Jesus is just using plain logic. If God were evil, persistence would pay off, but God's not evil, he's good. How much more is God going to give good gifts? So in other words, what he's saying is, look, if God delays in prayer, you need to know it's not because he's evil, it's because he's good. And it may be that the delay is that you're not ready for the answer. It may be that the delay is somebody else who's involved. They're not ready for the answer. Or it may be that God desires to give you more than simply the answer to your prayer. Have you ever thought about that? That we pray so small, Lord, give me such and so, and here it is. This is what I want. And he says, no, I'm not going to give you this. I want to give you this. And I'm going to wait until I can. And your job is to trust me and not to think I'm evil. 
but to consistently, persistently pray, shamelessly, in spite of the delay or God's apparent apathy. The last thing that this verse teaches us, verse 13, is that we're to pray expectantly because God's going to answer with our good in mind. It's a beautiful teaching. 13 verses, nice, concise. Here's what to pray. Here's what to do when it doesn't seem like God hears your prayers. He does hear. He does hear. And he will answer. I love the beauty of this text because it is so applicable. It is immediately applicable to our lives. And whatever the issue is in your life right now that you've been praying about for years, perhaps you're one who has wandered away from God and you tend to lean more toward the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our debts. Forgive me because I've wandered. God's grace is big enough to do that. You cannot out the grace of God. He is ready to take you back this moment if you will. If you haven't, if you will place your faith in Jesus, if you have, if you will come to him again. He will embrace you and erase the past and he will forgive you and bring you back into fellowship with him. Or maybe you've been praying for a family member for years to come to know the Lord or to repent or to do such and so. And it doesn't matter how many times you pray, God seems to ignore that prayer. I know this feeling. Believe me. And this text is a great comfort to me today as well. To be persistent and not give up on praying. Because those who seek, find, ask, receive. So we cling to that great promise. Well, let's bow together and pray to our Heavenly Father. Father, we love you today because you are holy. You are hallowed in our hearts. We set you apart from all others. And we worship you because you are worthy of our praise. You've sent the Lord Jesus Christ in your grace to die on the cross for our sins when you were only obligated to judge us. How can we ever express gratitude in our lives but to tell you and to live for you with every ounce of faithfulness we can? And Lord, we bring to you our confession come to you for pardon. We come to you for provision. We come to you for protection from the devil. We also come to you in perseverance that we might, even though you delay the answer, continue to pray because we have the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ that if we ask, we shall receive. So Lord, we continue to ask and pray expectantly that when you answer, it will be for our good. We pray in Christ's name.